Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much to everybody for coming back and welcome. A big, huge, warm welcome to all the new listeners of the show. I've had a fantastic couple of weeks gigging around the country and uh, acquired some new friends on the old social medias and all that kind of crack. So you're very welcome to the show Enjoy us, enjoy us, enjoy, well, do enjoy us, enjoy us for the ride. That's a new expression that I've just invented. Enjoy the ride. We've got some fantastic shows. Today's show is going to be a little bit different, but you can look at the back catalogue. I think this we're up to episode number 38. There is all sorts of things on this show, on the other 37 episodes. There's some comedy stuff, there's some great conversations, there's been loads of comedians on. If you're looking for something funny and a bit of crack and something interesting, Michael Rice has been on the podcast a few times. He's great. I think he's been on it three or four times. Um, there's a, a couple of episodes recently where, where you capture us on the drive home after a gig from Burn Court, County Tipperary, back to Dublin, and all the conversations that comedians have, the come down after the gig, if you will, and all the crack that we had. And it was a fantastic gig in Burn Court, and we had plenty to chat about in that. So check out The Road from Burn Court. John Spillane was on last week, the wonderful, amazing, brilliant John Spillane. Check out that episode. Can't remember his social media offhand. I think it's the John Spillane. It's not the singer-songwriter guy. It's John Spillane, the comedian. A fantastic comedian, crazy in what he does very hard to explain what he does because he doesn't do straight stand-up but when you were in the room and john spillane is performing it is absolutely hilarious check out hit that episode he's he's got a couple of episodes on here as well and the wonderful mind that he has and how creativity comes to him and the way that he works it's brilliant justine stafford was on a couple of weeks ago as well the wonderful woman behind all the funny stuff that joe.ie are doing justine has a fantastic story to tell um from very interesting beginnings to her world in, in the media and uh, comedy. So check out the Justine Stafford episode for that. We've also got all sorts of stuff from Emma Manley and her fashion label, Manley. Um, John Connors, amazing actor. Uh, well, first and foremost, a traveller and an activist, a proud traveller, an actor, a writer, a director. He's been involved in film and TV a lot down the years. You'll have seen him all over... RTE and all in your cinemas all over the place. He was the famous uh, uh, front man. Is not the word. That's for a band. How would you say? The star of Cardboard Gangsters, a film that did amazingly well in the box office in 2017 or 2018. I can't remember. But John Con- Connors talks about his work as an actor. But more interestingly, his life growing up and how he got into acting and the and the tragic. Um, situations that he had to come through uh, and that he had to overcome to get to where he is today. We've got Kevin Powell, a good friend of mine as well, who's a chef. He owns Meet Me in the Morning Restaurant and Loose Cannon Cheese and Wine in Dublin. We uh, have a couple of episodes of talking about his interesting road to how he got to cooking. Man, was he a troublemaker. But then we have another fantastic episode where Kevin cooks us breakfast. We have breakfast together, breakfast tacos. That's a great episode. Then also, don't you worry, all you fans of Jen out there, I know it's been a while since she has been on the show. Well, she's coming back. She wasn't going anywhere. That's not what was happening at all. We've just been busy. But Jenna Logan is a regular contributor to the show. The wonderful, quirky mind of Jenna Logan will be coming back next week, and we chat about all sorts with Jenna, as you will see. Basically, the ones that the episodes that are entitled, a, a weird kind of title, I think one of them is called Anal Garlic. Um, that is um, 
uh, that's the kind of conversations that we ended up having. Um, so there's all there's all sorts of stuff th- uh, through all the episodes. Scroll through and have a look, see what tickles your fancy. But we will be bringing you a new episode every week here at the podcast. I kind of feel a bit stupid with the next thing that I'm going to say because it it is a little bit late. It's not that I wasn't thinking of it in the previous couple of episodes, but I was thinking about it. But I wanted to take a moment to acknowledge uh, the passing of Gay Byrne. Now, if you're listening from outside of Ireland, you're going to go, well, who is that? Um, And what kind of a name is that maybe even? You know, it's short for Gabriel. But Gay, Gay Byrne was a firstly a journalist who became a broadcaster and that doesn't sound like that much of a deal, but in Ireland, he was actually a huge figure in society. He was a, a huge, uh, how would you put it? Uh, he was a conductor of, of conversation in this country, really, through uh, his radio show that he was on, on, on national radio every weekday for years. And the Late Late Show, which was on, uh, when I was growing up, was on Friday nights on RTE, which was a chat show. It is the longest running chat show in the world. It's been going that long. And he was the one who started it way back, um, I can't remember what year it was, but way back when it's still going. It's now had two presenters since he left uh, the Late Late Show in 1999. But when I was growing up, I think, so when he moved on, I would have been... Uh, 14, maybe, maybe 14, 13, 14, when he moved on, um, and and he and he retired from the Late Late Show. But why it was such an important thing in the in in Irish society was that Ireland was quite an oppressed country. If you're listening to the UK and you're listening to the US, you you will maybe not get it as much. But in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, the Late Late Show, the chat show, was a place for national conversation. So you got to understand that Ireland is a very, very Catholic country, and there was all sorts of oppressions coming out of that oppression from the Catholic Church. And what Gayburn offered to the whole country was a, a platform for people to come on and talk about what they wanted to talk about as a nation. So, like, the, obviously, it's, it's iconic to people in Ireland, but he, he famously... Um, brought a condom onto the show in the late 80s. And some women had smuggled condoms down from Belfast. That's right, you could not get condoms in the Irish Republic. They smuggled some condoms down from Belfast and Gay Byrne held an empty, an empty condom in front of, uh, in front of the audience, in front of a, a whole nation and going, this is what, he said, this is what all the fuss is about. And that, those kind of breakthroughs, I know it seems s- silly and funny now, but in those days, it was huge. You couldn't get a condom in, in, in the Republic. But that was the kind of guy he was. He was bringing the conversation forward for people to talk about. And at one stage, it was on, the Late Late Show was on a Saturday night. So on, in mass on Sunday morning, even the priests were talking about the Late Late Show from the pulpit. He brought all sorts of amazing people onto the show from everybody who was involved in in the troubles in Northern Ireland, the various politicians from both sides, from nationalist sides and unionist sides. And he brought them down to, to converse about the troubles that were going on in Northern Ireland. And it was a, he was a showman at heart as well. So while he was able to talk about the serious things, he was able to bring on U2 and they would play live or Sinead O'Connor and she had some amazing episodes on the show or Dylan Moran or Tommy Tiernan and all these guys and it was a really amazing show and as a real moment in time that we're never going to get again I mean the Late Late Show is still going but now YouTube and Netflix and podcasts and all that stuff the, the national conversation isn't focused in one place anymore because people can get their media from various different outlets but in those days the country was watching when the Late Late Show was on and he was an amazing uh, orator, he was amazing uh, showman, and he he really did a lot for uh, for Irish society. And the effect of his passing there a couple of weeks ago was amazing. It's very rare that you're going to see the national newspapers dedicate a whole front cover to one man in this country. Very rare. And there was a real out uh, outpour of love for him and his family at his funeral last week. Um, I just thought, for me as a guy who's just making a podcast, a comedian, who in a sense these days, you know, you are a broadcaster of sorts. I never I never sought out to <laughs> to call myself a broadcaster at all. 
I started this podcast from my love of conversation and love of talking to people and knowing that there was loads of people out there in the world that other people didn't know about. So I thought, you should hear about this person. This person's got a cool story. You know, you may not have heard of Kevin Powell, the chef, but man, does he have a cool story. You may not have heard of Ashing Rogerson, but when you listen to that episode, you find a pretty cool person at the center of that. So I just wanted to say thanks, as the whole nation had, to Gabo, to Uncle Gabo, as we called him, for all the work that he, he did down the years. And um, uh, yeah, what a fantastic, fantastic, brilliant man that he was. And uh, yeah, may he rest in peace. And that is it. Happy memories, to be honest with you, because the RTE player have just been putting up everything that Gayburn ever did, all his TV shows, the Meaning of Life TV show that he did afterwards, and all sorts of funny clips here and there. It's uh, it's sad that he's passed, but loads of great fun, fond memories. So thanks for everything you did, Gabo. And I also have today gotten news of some uh, listeners to the show some great uh, loyal listeners to the show have had some uh, of their own tragedy in their lives. And I just want to wish um, those people all all my love through the difficult time that you're uh, feeling at the moment now. And to be honest with you, winter is a tough time for everybody. We all remember people that we've lost around this time of year because it's a family time. And shout out to everybody out there if you're going through a, a difficult moment now. Um, sending you all the love from everybody here at the show. And thank you to everybody who sends kind messages in all the time. We do have our own kind of little conversation going here. And uh, I'm wishing you all, to those to those friends of mine who have uh, uh, lost a loved one today, I'm sending you all the love uh, from everyone here and from all the listeners as well. I'm sure you would send on your love. Today's episode is a little different. I know the tone even of today's introduction is it may be a little bit different But my idea for this particular episode, when I started the show, I wanted to do this episode for quite a long time. And I didn't quite know how I was going to approach it or how it was going to happen, but... I I just decided to go for it in the end and see see what happens. This person is a very uh, special person in my life, and most people in my life who know me as a comedian, friends and family, say that I get it all from this person. Today, ladies and gentlemen... I am bringing onto the show my mother. Indeed. Now, while my comedic element definitely comes from her, and she is a showwoman, she is a performer, she is an absolute nut job. this episode didn't really become that, and that's fine, you know? I didn't want her to feel pressure to perform or be funny or anything like that. But what happened in the conversation is what happened, and we ended up talking about her life. Anna Luisa Riccitelli married Sean with the belly. That's <laughs> that's the joke we had in our family. But that's my mom, Anna Luisa Riccitelli or Riccitelli Mullen, um, moved here a long time ago because she married this Irish fella, and she came uh, to Tipperary in the middle of nowhere, in Tipperary, in Ireland, way back in the 80s. And that's, that's, but that's the beginning of my life, to be honest with you. But she has an amazing story to tell. This is You kind of make episodes like this because you're never going to hear a story like this. You will not have heard a story like this before. And my mom has a really interesting story to tell. She's a, an amazing woman. Oh, feck, I forgot now. She did want me to say something because we didn't get to it we are going to have to get uh, back to her and uh, do more with her on other topics on the show but yes she said we forgot to mention that she got a BA in theology and a diploma in spiritual direction they are her qualifications I'm sorry ma'am that I forgot to say that up top um, and that we forgot to talk about that in the show but ma'am we might have you on again but anyway this episode turns out to be a really light, we barely scratched the surface, but it's still a fascinating story of how this young girl in Buenos Aires in Argentina goes through her life deciding at a young young enough age that she needs to change some things and she finds, she finds her own spirituality and she jumps on a ship, she travels the world helping people and she ends up in Ireland. And it's a fascinating story. I want to thank you, ma'am, for coming on to the show. It's a really, this is kind of a story time episode, and I really hope you enjoy it. If you want to follow her and her artistic pursuits, because we didn't even get time to get into her artistic pursuits, follow her on Instagram 
at Anna Mullen Art. Anna is with one A. A N A M U L L A N Art. I will put the link to that in uh, in the description for the show. As before, follow me on Instagram at Hello Stevo. I've completely forgotten about the shows. I'll talk about that again, maybe. But thank you so much to everybody who came out in Central Arts to see Son of a Preacher Man this week. It was fantastic. It was a brilliant show. Man, did we have a laugh. Thank you so much. Thank you to everybody in Drogheda at the Trinity Quarter uh, who came to see me opening up for Des Bishop's tour. Take the points. You are absolutely wild. Wow, did we have crack in that. Um, that's probably my favourite room in the country right now. It was absolutely wild. Thank you so much. Follow me on Instagram. I've blabbered on too much here. I've got loads of dates coming up. I'm travelling all around the country between now and Christmas. I'm go- going to be down in Cork a couple of times. But thank you so much, everybody, for your continued support and listening. Follow me on uh, Instagram, at HelloStevo. Ladies and gentlemen, I am very proud to introduce to you Anna Luisa Riccitelli. It's fair to say you were quite excited straight away just by getting the microphone in here. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> this was such a... My dream, I just closed my eyes. I think I'm in Eurovision. <laughs> you wouldn't qualify, or you would, I suppose. You're an Irish citizen now. You'd, I suppose you'd qualify. <laughs> not, not to get into, into, into politics. You were a singer, though. I was thinking about that because I was chatting about you the other day, and you were a, a singer back in the day in a group, obviously. Not yeah, yeah, yeah. I was part of a singing m- group, yeah. 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 Do, you, do you miss that? Do you miss being part of a singing group? Yeah. Uh, you're quite the performer back in the day when we were growing up. Um, not really. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. You know, uh, I enjoy when when I did it, and uh, and now I'm okay with not doing it. <laughs> Do you well, there's definitely so in terms of when anyone ever asked me about comedy, right? How I got into it and all blah blah blah. <laughs> Right. I always <laughs> you can't be doing all this stuff off camera and pulling funny faces because <laughs> because nobody gets it. It's just a recording one. She's okay. making me laugh by pulling silly faces off the interview listeners. But anyway, um, when the people ask me about comedy, how we got into it, I always say that I definitely didn't get it from my dad. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, right. No, no, you definitely didn't get him from from him. No, Did you? No. All, were you always a bit of a performer? You, like, because you I remember you telling me stories about being in school and been asked to uh, yeah i suppose you know i was an only child and I, uh, when you're an only child you develop more your imagination because you don't you haven't got playmates and uh, and so uh, you, you are more creative in that sense and uh, i uh, my household was quite restrictive and so when uh, because of the size of it and not because of the sizes, because of the parenting t- yeah. style. And so um, the, it wasn't a place where you could express freedom freely who you were. Um, so when I was, especially when I was in secondary school more than in primary school, in primary school, I don't recall about doing anything. But um, in secondary school, yeah, I started to imitate teachers and the way they spoke or the way they, they uh, taught uh, or people from the television. So if we had a free hour that the teacher didn't turn up uh, <laughs> for teaching school because okay. they were sick or something right. like that. So they were uh, left in the classroom uh, to your own devices? Um, we we had a supervisor there okay. by the door. or uh, But sometimes maybe the supervisor left or whatever. But he let us do things as long as we were not too rowdy. Yeah. So the girls will say, oh, come on, come on, come on, go on and imitate so-and-so. So I, I used to go and stand up and imitate different people. Uh, I got quite good about one particular teacher who came from the northeast part of Argentina where they have a peculiar accent. Okay. And um, and she was so happy with me imitating her that she used to take me to other classes so the other <laughs> classes would hear how she spoke by me. <laughs> <laughs> so you were so you were the performance school. She brought you around to. So where in Argentina was she from? Like uh, Mendoza area or South? No, no, well? northeast. So she oh, was from Corri- Corrientes, which will be uh, the area bordering with Brazil. Okay, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And what's the difference in the accent there? A bit more singing. Uh, yeah, it's a much more musical. Now I wouldn't know because it's a long time ago and I haven't been there. But it's a different accent. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So what are your memories of growing up in? Because everybody listening here now, I doubt there's anybody listening in Argentina. And every time I go to Argentina, which is not, not always that often, I, I always think flying in, looking over the city and kind of realizing how huge Buenos Aires is and this whole other world 
that's going on on the other side of the world that uh, like I grew up with very little aware, well, aware, awareness through you you know but nobody back in Ireland knows what Argentina is like you know kind of a thing mm. um what are your memories of growing up in the apartment with your your mom and dad um, well, initially, I was in a house uh, that we were rented, and it was a type of the design of house, um, le- what we I would say Italian style, because there were so many immigrants from Europe who came after the Second World War, uh, and even before that, mm. uh, um, Buenos Aires was always looking to Europe for the building and all of that. So um, the type of house that I grew up uh until I was six years of age, uh, was a house that had a patio. Uh, and what you mean, the patio was like a rectangular place, you know, and the kitchen was uh, at the bottom. And then the bedrooms were uh, next to each other, but the patio was not covered. So okay. what it was connected were the, the bedrooms. To go to the kitchen, you had to come out, come out of the bedroom to go into the kitchen. Oh, to go across. Uh, so you got to go across the patio from the bedroom. To a the little bit, just around the corner. Okay. It was in a corner. So that was the type of Italian a type of housing, uh-huh. you know. That, kind that, of like what uh, Marcella and Clemente were living in recently enough kind of a thing. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Those type of places that the rooms face uh, the, the square, the yes, patio. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that's the, the way it was. But then we, we moved into an apartment, which was just a one-bedroom apartment, and that uh, was quite small. You know, I I uh, would sleep in the, the living room. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the which was living room and dining room together, and my parents had a bedroom, uh, and um, so and I mean I was an only child. My my friend uh, across from the corridor, who they were in another apartment, and there were five in a one bedroom apartment. In so. the same size of apartment. Yeah, oh yeah, my yeah, yeah, right. yeah. In the was same. Was that I- I- Irene? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, wow. So she, I didn't realize she was literally across the yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, hallway yeah, from yeah, me. Yeah, oh yeah, wow! Yeah. And this is in Buenos Aires city center. Buenos Aires, yeah, it wouldn't be. It would be. It would have been around twenty minutes on the on the metro to from the really city center. Okay, it, it was a neighborhood uh, like the French would call a quartier. You okay. know, a, a neighborhood which was predominantly Jewish. Yeah. Ah, that's mm-hmm. right. I remember saying that. Yeah. And uh, so when you're growing up at that time in, what was it called? Visa something? Was it a Visa? Or? A Visa, Visa Crespo. Yeah. Oh, you were in Visa Crespo. Okay. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. right. Yeah, which yeah. I've been to now many a times. Yeah. Since, which is technically where Mario Menendez all still live. Yeah, Visa exactly. Crespo and all that yeah, kind of yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. So yeah. you were in that area that whole time. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We always live around the area for, with the exception one year that we move further uh, away, like. 15, 20 minutes to another area just for a year, yeah, and then we came back, yeah. And what did your mom and dad do? Uh, my dad was a barber, and um, barber in the city center, uh, where um, in the part of Buenos Aires, which is next to the port, where all the banks are and all the investment places, uh, where the government house uh, is, you know, Casa Rosada and yes, all of yes. that. So he was a barber first in one in one barber shop, which was quite large, and they also sold tobacco and pens, and uh, and there were loads of different barbers, and uh, it was called Casa Britannica, British House. Oh. I don't know for why, why what was the reason, and then he he moved to another place. And in those days, you know, a barber was quite an important person because a lot of the people that he cut the, the hair, um, did the hair for, they were directors in banks or engineers and things like that, that they need to look well. Big movers know? in the city. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and my mom just worked from home. Uh, she just did uh, things in the house, but she was always knitting or doing things for selling and things like that yeah she that's why she made a lot of you were saying before that you got embarrassed at, at certain points when she because she, she made a lot of your clothes she did made of, of a lot of my clothes and they were not to my liking <laughs> i didn't like the material uh, but she was quite a strong personality so she had you had to wear them uh, and it was um yeah it was a bit hard <laughs> she was a because uh, i mean it's okay she so she passed away now in 2002 hmm. i remember i came back from Remember, I came back from the States and okay. uh, she passed away yeah. not long after when we were living out in West Dublin. But um, yeah, she was quite, it was, and Ernesto passed away. My granddad passed away five months to the day, I think, before I was born. So I never got to meet him. No. But Nona, from my memory, was because she didn't speak English. 
<laughs> but she was a quite an anxious person, wasn't she? She was, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah so was. it was difficult. It was difficult to be the only the only child to that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. A lot of uh, anxiety and worry all the time. Yeah, yeah. And is that? Do you think that was because of where she came from? Because she was an Italian immigrant, basically, to Argentina, so never a lot of money, never. Um. I I think so. The upbringing had a lot to do, you know, because she left Italy when she was 10 and she left behind her grandmother and she loved her grandmother very much. And in those days, the family could not emigrate together because they didn't have enough money. A lot of Irish people will understand this because they would have gone through the same thing. Mm. So my grandfather would have uh, moved first and then... Uh, my grandmother with my mother and her brother moved uh, but then things didn't work out so her parents end up being splitting up uh, uh, and so the idea of the America where you will find money money in the uh, streets was not money what they in said. the streets yeah, yeah. Uh, evaporated very quickly she went two years to school and then at age 12 she had to start working cleaning okay. houses Um Plus, I think the fact that the situation in Argentina it's, has always been very unstable, you know, economically. So that produces a lot of anxiety in people. So, um, but she she had, I think, because of her bringing a sort of very um, half empty glass way of looking okay, at things. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that was part of when you were. Uh, it was it was a difficult difficult upbringing with her because she was anxious all the time. But was that part of the reason why you hopped on a ship then later on in life to kind of go travel the world and? Uh, um, no, not 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 really. It wasn't. I think I just did that because um, I felt. I mean, by that stage, I had an understanding of uh, how uh, life could be when you believe in God. Mm-hmm. And I find myself in my own faith stuck uh, and I wanted to grow. Okay. Uh, and, and, and Nona had as well, be, at that time, had she become yeah, a Christian yeah, yeah. as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she had been attending uh, um, an evangelical church for, for several years. And, um, and I was 25 at the time, so I felt I needed to be stretched. Okay. And and that's yeah, and that was going to be a, a big stretch because you know I have never traveled outside Argentina, nor I have ever lived with other people. Uh, so it was, and which is quite normal in Latin culture. You were still living at home at the time, I assume. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and you were working. Were you working in a bank? Yeah, I was working in a bank. Yeah. What were you doing there? I was a secretary to okay. a manager. Yeah. Is that how you got your amazing? handwriting no i got the amazing handwriting from school from the nuns <laughs> from the nuns in school yeah, yeah. <laughs> it into get good no, hand. no 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 i'm afraid all the way that the way that people think about nuns uh, um uh here and the experiences that they had i could not say that actually okay. my my um, nicest memories are going from my from to the catholic school oh, really? which was a, a private school okay and then i had to go to a public school me and my mom changed me and uh but no no i had the, the wonderful memories of that school yeah, yeah. my mom has i don't know if i'll be able to put it on social media on some level but my mom has the most amazing handwriting which you obviously you, you did learn in school but you did take on a lot of the 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 artistic well not artistic but creative bits of of your mom as well from from being an only child but things like making stuff all the time like as long yes. as i'm alive you've been making Stuff uh, my whole life. Yes, even yes. for the little bit of extra bit of money in the house as well. Yes, yes. And um, my mum always used to be seated in the evening, and she would be knitting or crocheting until midnight, and that's how she end up having a little bit more of extra money. And uh, and I suppose I picked that that from her, you know. And so I even nowadays I sit and I'm making. Uh, things uh, while I'm, I might be watching something. <laughs> it's almost like you feel a bit guilty that you sit and you do nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you feel guilty about just sitting and watching yeah, the TV show. You, yeah, so you have to be that, doing that's, something. That's, that would feel for me like a waste of time because you could be doing something else. Because <laughs> down the years, as a kid, you, I remember you um, were making the amazing brooches from, yes. f- from yeah. FIMO, wasn't it? FIMO? Yeah, yeah, yeah. FIMO yeah. was the name of the material. Yeah. And uh, they sold them in Ballymaloo House. Yes, they which did. Which was a big yeah. deal at the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we yeah. got our first colour TV from that. Yeah. yeah, well, I sold in there and I sold in other places as well. And oh, yeah, the, the jewellery shop in, um, uh, in Jackie, Cone, in yeah, Cove, yeah, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, there were a few places. There was another in the uh, place in the west of Cork. And the advantage in it was in Middleton, that uh, where we used to live, that I could put some money down and then they allow you to pay bit by bit. So uh, as I sold brooches i was right. able to go and pay yeah yeah you paid and the that's TV how bit we, bit. yeah and that's how we got the the first color television yeah the great uh, great job satisfaction from that yeah like yeah, like literally working in like the the end goal i remember the tv that was a big deal because we had the black and white tv for we had the black and white tv that was given to us by uh your granddad and uh and i remember buying the the small uh color tv and covering it and i think it was a christmas that that's right it was unveiled a christmas unveiled the, unveiled what a christmas <laughs> that was <laughs> unveiled the color television we should have kept curtains in that corner the whole time <laughs> that was an amazing living room actually that space because dad built a lot of it as yeah, well because that built that, that, all he of built that, the, the fireplace yeah, and the and wood the shelves around yeah, yeah, that yeah, went that's the that's tv right. went into as well and yeah. our beds as well and yeah yeah yeah, yeah it was quite amazing so yeah. sorry we're i'm I hopped forward and backwards. So you hopped on. So you became a. What age did you become a Christian? That uh, that became a big part of your life. Um, what is it? Sorry, but can you ask me that what, again? What age when you first became a Christian? What, well, what age? Where were you at in your life when that happened? Um, that happened when I was eighteen. But um, I don't think we can. Now, I as I get older, that one can judge very uh, clearly because I think at the age of four, I had a very uh, strong. Um, impression of Jesus in a Catholic church. My mom never went to church, but she decided to go one day to church. And I was very impressed by a statue of Jesus. So that was my beginning to to see that there was something about this person that I that I like. Um, and then when it was when it came to uh, um, I was around 18, that's when my mom, who had been for many years anxious and depressive, um, depressed and uh, yeah, very difficult. Um, she was quite, like, not to put too fine a point on it, she was quite abusive to you as well. Um, and that she, was difficult for you. Um, yeah, she was quite abusive verbally. Uh, she would smack, but that was in those days, that was the day, the thing to do with children. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, verbally she was quite abusive. She would put me down quite a lot. Um, but then she started going to these Bible studies and... And all of a sudden, she she became a much calmer person. So I was curious about it. So I did go to where she was going, and I decided to stay. And that's how I ended up staying. Yeah. Okay. So eighteen years of age, you kept and you kept going to that that Bible group, and then it was by the time you were twenty five. How did you find out about OM, which was the the ships that you joined and traveled the world? And the ship came to Buenos Aires. Okay. Right. Yeah, the ship came to Buenos Aires, so I visited the ship. Um, I think I visited once or twice, and then we had the team from the ship visiting our church. Um, and so I became interested, and I was wondering if that would be for me uh, a next step of uh, to do something that it would have become. As I said before, I was feeling stuck, mm. and I feel I felt this could be a, a good challenge for me, yeah. And uh, to explain to people now that haven't a clue what OM is, some people call it Operation Marriage. As yes, a joke. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> it's where loads of Christians go and work on the ship and they end up finding their future partner uh, in life. But how would you explain what, because they're still going today, both ships or just one ship? There is one ship one and ship. There is, it's a new ship and the new ship will come now, Logos Hope, will become now to Dublin next June. Oh, wow. Uh, to Dublin and Cork. Yeah. And when you were you went to Buenos Aires, the summer just passed. That was the yes. ship was over there at the time, wasn't it? Yes, the yeah. ship was there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And were you and the original two ships that were traveling the world at that time? Were you on the Lagos or the Dulos? I, I was on the Dulos. Right. The, in total, Operation Mobilization had four ships. Ah. The first one was Lagos, which which we uh, she uh, hit um, rock uh, the sub so the south bottom. South of of South America near Chile. Oh my goodness! And it had to be uh, people had to leave the ship, so she's still there. Uh, at the bottom of the sea, or she's not at the bottom of the sea. She's oh. just uh, leaning. Oh constantly. wow! Yeah, she's still up, but she's leaning. Okay. Um, and uh, for a while, then there was Logos and Dulos. Dulos was the nicest, the the newest one, and. Um, then when Logos, the first Logos was out of action, they got another one and they call it Logos 2. 
And when they finished with that one, they uh, got uh, Andulos was not um, able to be used again because there were too many renovations to do to allow her to sail. And it was going to cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dulos was bought by a businessman in Singapore. And she's now a hotel in an, uh, in an island that I can't remember, but in, okay. South, in Southeast Asia. Okay, wow. Uh, and so there's only one ship, which is Logos Hope now. Okay, right. And, and it was basically a missionary ship. You went, it was a ship that went uh, around the yeah, world. Yeah, uh, Operation Mobilization it was, is um, a, a Christian missionary organization that started uh, more than 40 years ago, 50, I think. Uh, and it started initially just selling books, Christian books, um, and uh, uh, trying to share with people about uh, how life can have meaning if, if God is part of their lives. Uh, and um, and then they realized that um, a lot of the main cities are around water, and so they decided that the ship would be uh, one of the things that it could help. Um, all of the ships carry on board uh, an educational book exhibition, um, so they have a lot of books that are educational, and they are very reasonable in price, uh, but also carry as well uh, uh, Christian books to help people uh, who want to grow in their Christian life, uh, buy books, Bibles and things like that, that they are much cheaper than buying somewhere else. And uh, in some countries, you know, it's it's very, they're very good value. Um, but on board of the ship as well, uh, conferences, conferences are offered um, of different types, international nights, because the ship... When I was on the Dulos, we were around around 320, and we were between 35, 40 nationalities. Wow, so 320 uh, people and 40 nationalities, uh, all living together on the ship. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had schools as well for the children. Okay, uh, so there's families living on there as were, well? Yeah, there were families right. living because, for example, the captain and engineers who came for a long period of time, they would come with their, their families and so the children need to have an education. Yeah. Uh, and um, um, so um, we had international nights when people dress up in their in their national costumes and they would dance and they would, um, you know, sing or whatever. So yeah. you had to you had to dress up and do the tango. No, <laughs> I actually had I put my poncho and I sang to some uh, Argentinian ah, songs. Oh, wow. Yeah, right, that, okay. that was that was my my piece every international night. And uh so you you went you went on the ship and you you ended up living there for 3 years. Yes. Yeah. And so then uh and then you meet this Irish guy on there. Yeah. <laughs> I met your dad. Uh, I met your dad. Uh, we were only together seven months because your dad was uh, na- joined in 1981, right? And, and I left in 1982. Okay. Yeah. So he joined the ship towards the end of your time on the yeah, ship, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And what were what was the? How did all that? So you started going out when you met, or how did all that romance? No, happen? no, no. Because we were we were just um, we were just friends. I mean, they were quite strict about social relationships. You oh, can really? imagine because you have yeah. you might have 250 young people they are living together it's a you lot of hormones ma'am yeah exactly <laughs> and there are a lot of cultural differences as well okay and, and you're all living under the same culture on the ship yes and then you leave the ship uh, the ship and you, you you have your own culture yeah you go back to because so they, they were very cautious about that okay because it's a very how do you say illusional type of culture you yes know? yeah yeah um, you're living in a bubble essentially. exactly yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, to a certain extent you live in a bubble but the advantage of the ship is that we went to ports and the ports where we went you see a lot of poverty mm. you were with people with very disadvantage so all of that which i had the privilege to do a lot um it's very educational mm. and it really transforms you in the way you look at life and of the course. way you look at people. Um, Have you any memories of any kind of being shocked by any poverty in certain cities around oh, the world? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Most. I mean, because the ship was in the Caribbean and, and the South America, you know, the, the poverty is just, um, I mean, one time we went to in a, in a team, a group of us who were the singing group. To uh, uh, we were in Mexico mm-hmm. and uh, we were invited to visit this pastor who was 
responsible for a little church in there. So we stay with, with him. We were eight of us from Argentina, New Zealand, uh, uh, Singapore, uh, different countries. Um, and then he said, would you mind coming and we go and visit these five fishermen who live like, I don't know if it was an hour from where he lived. They live just by the lake or the river, I can't remember. Um, they they would like to meet you and all okay. of that. So so we went in the back of a the back of a truck. Uh, they drove us, and they were all houses made out of tin. Wow! Uh, and um, there was one house that it was a little bit bigger, and then they told us that we were going to go for lunch to uh, different houses. And the place that I went was with, I went with Joseph, my friend from Singapore. And I can't remember who was the other person. It was just the three of us. So we arrived to the house, which was literally just tin roof and walls. There was one table and three chairs. The floor was just dust, mud. Yeah. Uh, there were no doors, as far as I remember. There was a little hammock for a baby to sit. Uh, the lady gave us something to eat, but she couldn't sit because we had the three chairs. So she was holding the baby. And as I turned slightly um, back, I saw there was a bed made out of, you know, the cardboard boxes where the washing machines come? Yes. Well, there were like two cardboard boxes put together making the length of a single bed and stuffed with something so it wouldn't come all, come down. And there was the husband sleeping because he had been fishing at night. Okay, right. Wow. Um, and that was our lunch. Oh, know? my goodness. It's uh, hard because I remember we went down to, uh, we, we did some work um, when I was working with the charity in uh, Kailisha, one of the, uh, the, one of the biggest townships outside of Cape Town. Mm-hmm. And those types of mm-hmm. houses and people exhausted and sick and, but yeah. there was quite yeah it's quite it was very hard to eat in front of them. Was, I know it's a weird thing mm. to say, but it's very hard yes. to eat yes. in front of them because you feel so yeah yeah um, you feel disgusting to be honest with you. You feel so guilty. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's very yeah, difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the same time, they they are the most generous people. Yes. Yeah. Okay. In comparison to the people who have a lot. Yeah. To them, they are giving you the best and they feel happy. And after that, I remember going on the boat. They were going fishing. I wanted to see where they went fishing. So I went, I think there was a little boy there around 14 or so. And we went on the boat and caught some fish and then came back and they taught me how to clean fish. Wow. So you learned how to go fish in Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, they, so you, you travel around the world doing that kind of work and you mess. You met this Irish guy for yeah. only seven months, so it was just a plutonic relationship at that point, or no? We we were good friends, we're yeah, good friends, yeah. Right. We were always good friends, you know, because I was at the end of my stay, so I just didn't want to be distracted. I wanted to enjoy my seven months there and concentrate on what we were doing, which was, and I had a fantastic group of friends in my singing group mates, right? So we did a lot of things. So you're playing hard to get, basically, ma'am. That's not. <laughs> No, actually, I wasn't thinking about... I mean, I actually thought uh, that uh, a friend of mine could have him, you know. <laughs> I was trying I was and I, trying and I to wouldn't, And I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't exist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what happened? So you, you, went, you went back to Argentina after your seven months. He stayed on the ship? He stayed. He, had, he stayed, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was working. So where does it develop from there? How do you guys... Well, after up? a few months, uh, I, you know, he sent me a letter. And uh, so we, we started to correspond. And then the ship was coming down, you see, because I left in Puerto Cabello, which is in Venezuela. Okay. So he, the ship was sailing down, uh, uh, going through the Panama Canal and then down the Pacific, you know, going Ecuador, Peru mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, Chile, um, two ports in Chile or two or three ports in Chile. So I went and I visited him when the ship was in Valparaiso. So I took a bus from Buenos Aires to Valparaiso. It took me 23 hours uh, crossing the Andes. All I had right. to change bus when I got to the border uh, and go take another bus to the Andes and then through the Andes and take another bus then to Valparaiso. <laughs> Yeah, it's a long post journeys in South America are a different yeah. ball game. Yeah, you think yeah, it's yeah. bad from from Cork to Dublin? <laughs> let me tell you, I did. I think I did twenty hours to Iguazu from Buenos Aires. Yeah, and, wow, your yeah, bum yeah. is sore after that. 
So you so you met you met up then and then decided it was going to be a run. No, we met. We we got to know each other a little bit more, and then when the ship uh, is I, that the meeting? Actually, I remember him saying this. He said this in public. I think he might have said it in a sermon once that that's when he was looking at you, going, "I'm going to marry this woman." Is that? Oh, that? I have no idea which <laughs> one was. Uh, <laughs> He's a romantic here, is he? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, I I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I left in Valparaíso, came back to Buenos Aires, and he went on because they were going down the Magellan Strait and then up the Atlantic Ocean, up to Buenos Aires again. Well, no, I then I visited him again in Bahia Blanca. And, uh, Where's that? In the south of uh, the, of Buenos Aires, of the province of Buenos Aires. Okay. I, and then I think Mar del Plata as well. Uh, but he was not allowed to get off the ship because at that stage... Um, uh, Sean had a British passport, and this was Jeez, after. I don't know if you can let this out now. People are gonna know. <laughs> um, so he hadn't he hadn't moved over into an Irish passport at that point, or was he just British, using it? He had a British passport because he had asked from uh, his dad what was a good pastor to have for working uh, on ships. You know, he was right. working for P and O and all yes. these other so companies. My, yeah, so my dad just explained to other people. My dad was in the merchant navy before. He joined OM, so he was like, because he was uh, when he was uh, on the ship on the Dulos, he was actually he was still working as a navigator and all that stuff. Yeah, wasn't yeah, he? he was a navigation so officer. Yeah, he yeah, was yeah. An, he was the third officer, uh, and um, so at, until that time he had had a British passport for practical purposes. Yeah, uh, but then this was after the Falkland, uh, Falklands War, so he couldn't get off the ship. Mm. So eventually, I think it was in. So what year is that? Eighty three or something like that. Eighty uh, three, because um, the the war was in April eighty two. That's right. Yeah. Uh, as far as I remember, and uh, so this was eighty three. So there was no, um, they were not allowed to get off the ship, and no British was allowed off the ship. So I ended up eventually then then because he was coming back to Ireland to continue his study, he said, well, we cannot keep a relationship long distance. So, so at uh, what point did it become a relationship, though? That's what I'm trying to get to the nuts of. Um, <laughs> I think it was in Bahia Blanca, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, you, you see, because you, you are thinking... Um, the countries were so far that you couldn't be messing around and say, hang on, what's going to happen? You just have to commit and say, okay, let's... Let's, let's give uh, this a go. No, let's give it a go. So uh, And so we got engaged in Bahia Blanca. Uh, oh, you got engaged then, right? Yeah, yeah, because so, he said he, he we cannot keep a, relation, uh, uh, a relationship like that. It's so platonic, especially in the days that when, you know, international phone calls were expensive, yeah. everything was through letters. But the thing was that he... Um, so you he, got married... So sorry, you got married... Sorry, if I'm saying the wrong... You got engaged yeah. after knowing each other seven months. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And That's then, like me and Inez, really. Same yeah. thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we just had well, a baby. We got engaged after four weeks of having established a relationship. That's... Right. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is that he couldn't get off the ship to go and buy a ring nor he had much money because we were volunteers on the ship. So we That's just right, had so you don't pocket. get paid to do no, all this no, work that you're doing. No, we didn't you get, get paid. paid. We got some pocket money. So I had to go and buy a ring, which is this little <laughs> thing here. Very oh, you're thin. still wearing it? I still wear it, wow. yeah, because I, I, in the end I decided that's the type of ring I like. So I like simple things. And, uh, and where did you buy that? In a jewelry shop in 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 uh, Bahia Blanca, I think I can't remember exactly. Okay. And um, oh, is it? Sorry, there's is that two rings there? No, no, it's just a very thin one. Oh, so the, the very tiny thin one. Yeah. Is the, is the engagement? The, yeah. Oh my goodness! And the, the other one? Yeah, that's when we got married. Is the yeah. wedding ring? One. Yeah. <coughs> wow. So then that's uh, really thin. Um. So now after that, um. Yeah, that was it. He came back to Ireland to do his studies, so we didn't see each other for seven or eight months. Yeah. So is that when he was studying the Irish Bible School? He started to do no, those no, no, no. He went back to college. He was studying. He was going for his um, first officer. Right exams. The exams. Yeah, ah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's what he went to. And so when so he eventually moves back to he goes to Argentina. You get married in Argentina. Yeah, he he lived in Argentina for six months, and then we got married in Argentina on Patrick's Day. Woo. Uh, just because in those days most people got married. Well, the civil way in Argentina, the way it goes is everybody who wants to get married gets married in the in the register office, and then if you want a religious ceremony, then you have another religious ceremony the following day or two days later. Uh, but no 
no church or no religious group marries anybody. It's only the state who marries. Okay, yes. So what you go to church is for a blessing. Yeah. 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 So we got married uh, in the civil register office on the Friday, and then on the Saturday we had the the blessing in the church. And what yeah. did Nona and Ernesto think of Sean Mullen from from Cork? Um, I don't think they they. Uh, I think they were okay. I remember my dad at Christmas was a little bit upset because he he asked um, dad what Irish people go for entertainment, and and dad said very innocently when they go to the pub for a drink and my dad was very very anti-drink you know he he would have drunk wine and we had spirits at home but everything was done at social occasions so he was quite upset and he told my mom can you imagine our daughter marrying somebody whom you know the entertainment is going to drink and the funny thing is that your dad doesn't he go does, he, he goes to the pub never go like he, he goes to the pub now that we're all grown up but i, yeah, I don't think he ne- ever went to the pub no, when we never, when we grew he, up yeah i never uh, saw him drink i don't think when we grew up like no, rarely no no and i mean he would go to the pub now for if he has a friend or somebody yeah. uh, to discuss a business or have a chat but that's all you know um so, but after that, they were okay. I think they were happy. My dad was quite... Because he spoke, he spoke, my dad spoke Spanish as well. Like he did, yeah, he was yeah, doing yeah. well. Like he mm-hmm. did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I suppose my dad was happy that that it happened. And of course, then uh, the fact that I was coming to Ireland, that was difficult for him. And, uh, but he was an L, old man by that stage. And he, he was 83, I think. Uh, and he died the following year after we, a year after we moved to, to Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. That must. I mean, you always tell the story of deciding. So sorry, you did move to Ireland, and you and that's when Dad decided to study in the Irish Bible School, was it? Uh, yeah, when we moved back, yeah, we decided that that that's what we were going to do. So we moved to Tipperary to study in what it was then the Bible, the Irish Bible School, which doesn't exist anymore, and is now the Irish Bible Institute in Foley Street here in Dublin One. But you went from what was that experience like moving from? South America. You've just traveled all over South America to. So you've never even been to Europe at that stage, have you? No, I had been to Europe. Oh, you had uh, oh, on yeah, the yeah, ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had lived in Spain for two months. Okay, right. Okay. Yeah, and I had been to the UK and I had been to Northern Ireland. I have never been to. The I, had, South. I had no idea. So you'd been right. You'd been. Yeah, to, yeah, so yeah. where in the UK were you at that stage? And in the UK, I went to Southampton. Okay. Uh, I went to uh, Glasgow, to Newport and Cardiff. Okay, so you Belfast. had a bit of a feel then of what oh, yeah, this yeah, side yeah. of the world was like oh, a yeah, little yeah, bit. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And okay. I lived my two two months in Spain. I travel all around Spain. What were your initials? Do you, do you remember flying into Ireland for the first time? Did you fly into Cork or Dublin? or? No, we flew into London. And then we took a ferry to come to Dublin. To Dublin, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We came to Dublin. And then and drove then, down to Cork. And then we went down to Cork. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was very different because, you know, I grew up in an apartment and we we didn't have luxury, but uh, there were simple things, you know, like I remember we had gas and it was always, you always had hot water. Yeah. Uh, well, in, in Ireland, we had to put the immersion heat and you <laughs> had to wait for the tank to get hot. And, and it A was big expensive, ordeal in Ireland, yes. Expensive, you know. Uh, where we live, it was the middle of nowhere because um, the first, we lived for six months in Clomel and um, they said, well, come on, some friends says, we'll take you on a drive to see the, the town. And it, it was finishing <laughs> 20 minutes, you know. Uh, I'm thinking, 20 minutes, I'm still in Buenos Aires, you know. 20 girl. minutes in Buenos Aires, you wouldn't, you wouldn't move anywhere. <laughs> so, but, um, so yeah, that was quite a, it was a cultural shock. And I think if somebody would come now and uh, tell us, a younger couple will come and ask us, we are going to do this, 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 and this, we will say, no, don't do that. Because it was too much stress for me. Uh, too much stress on the marriage because financially uh, we were tight. Uh, you know, you're changing culture. You're also entering into a new relationship. Uh, you are trying to understand language and not, or so many things. But having said that, the people at the Bible school were very, very good and very supportive and very helpful uh, and very patient. So the, that helped to to settle and after that then we moved to Cork City so that was a, a little bit more my style of living really but you had you had a couple of uh, minor um how would you say 
events in your time in Colebrook in uh, like on the 18th of October 1985 and the 5th of February 1987 when you were living in in, yes, uh, yes. You you were born 18th of October, and then Luke was born in in February the fifth. You know, and so that was challenging as I'm well. I'm sure it was. So, how long into the marriage was that that I was born? Um, well, we got married in March 1984. You were born October right. 85. So yeah, so yeah. that was a lot to take yeah. on the first year. I yeah. think that me and Ines are mad moving. We moved country twice when our daughter was born, and. And she came to Ireland, well, moved to Ireland to live for the first time. But yeah, mm. you guys packed in a fair bit as well Yeah. <laughs> in that first couple of years of the marriage. Yeah. Um, and what were your, what was it like being a mother for the first time? Did you, had you wanted to do it a long time or was it uh, special? No, <laughs> I didn't. I, I didn't have any preparation uh, because I had never done like here. You know, it's not very common in, in Argentina, well, at least in Buenos Aires, that you get a babysitter for your child. You take your child everywhere, you know. Yeah. It doesn't matter what time it is, the child will go and uh, with you. So you, you don't have babysitting people, people babysitting. And if somebody's going to stay with your child, it's going to be somebody from the family. Okay. Uh, and you know no family around? No. Not, no. not where you were in Tipperary, anyway, all the family were in Cork. Yeah, yeah. So I, w- I, I didn't have any experience of that. Uh, but I was very, uh, I was very blessed that I had a Phyllis Nelson who was at the Bible school, and she had been a midwife. And uh, then I had uh, Ines Mitchell. And, who you're still uh, friends with today? Uh, yeah, and Ines and other girls who w- would have come and babysit if I needed, okay. you know, and if I had any problems with uh, with you, and then with with Luke, uh, I. Uh, I could ask Phyllis, mm. you know. She knew what was going on. Yeah, exactly. But then we moved to Cork City when, when Luke was seven, six or seven, ma- seven right. months, I think, or eight months. I can't remember. Yeah, he wasn't walking yet. So when we moved to Cork City. And so that's I, and that's where you got your Cork accent from, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we moved to, where did we, Brookfield Lawn down in... Brookfield Lawn, yes, near the lock. Do you remember, what was your memories of Cork at that time moving in? Because like... I have very vague memories. I do remember playing out the back garden there. I remember getting in trouble with Dad because Luke and I went out the back to one of the trees and we got the stabilizers off the bikes and we were pu- we were peeling bark off the tree. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and okay. Uh, don't do that. <laughs> You're after ruining this tree. And we got our dog as well. We got Aslan. Um, that was a mad. Uh, that was a mad short time because we weren't there that long before we moved to Middleton. Three years. Oh, we were three years that long, cause yeah. I, and then uh, Melanie was born there as well. Yeah. So three years in that house. It was yeah. a nice house. It was, we had a nice garden out the back. And yeah, the garden yeah, the yeah. And we had good neighbours. Yeah, Mrs. We did, Veach, yeah. Mrs. Mrs. Veach, yeah, that's yeah. right. Mrs. Veach on one side and um, the Brosnans yeah. next door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, Very yeah. good neighbours, yeah. Great neighbours. Stephanie yeah. was 10 days younger than me, I think. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And we went to play school together. Mm, yeah, and Claire was from Belgium, which it yes. had French-speaking Belgium. So it was nice to have somebody who was uh, another foreigner because in those days foreigners were there was few not and many. Apart. In Ireland. Yeah, yeah, uh, and then people when I when I arrived in Ireland, uh, the unemployment was twenty percent. Yeah, that's that's so high. Uh, everybody was saying, you know, that there were stickers in the car said, "The last person, please turn off the light." <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's really high. Twenty percent, goodness yeah, me. Twenty percent, yeah. And was a lot of emigration happening at the time? People leaving yeah, at the time. Yeah, loads, loads. Right. That's the reason they put that the sticker said that. Yeah, yeah. Will the so, last yeah. person turn off the light because yeah. everybody was going somewhere else? And yeah. how, what was it like culturally for you? How did you find Irish people different in comparison to where you came from? Um, to be honest, I mean, I have been here so long that now it's hard to hard figure to remember. Out, to remember. I mean, I remember food-wise, it was a bit of a challenge <laughs> because I didn't have the things that I was used at home. I hardly cooked when I was in Argentina, right. so I wasn't even familiar to cook. But I knew what my mom cooked, and uh, uh, and you couldn't get the things that I that I was. You used couldn't get to. pasta, sure, you couldn't. You could get a spaghetti, yeah, okay. so, but but there wasn't a great selection. Like right. now, you go and you have your Indian place, Chinese, and whatever. Yeah. In those days, it was just very very limited mm. and. Uh, uh, and as I said, I wasn't a very good uh, cook. And that's had crazy for you to hear that now because <laughs> that's like we've grown up on. You've got three kids that are mad into cooking, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose I, we, I, I, I had to learn, you know, and I, and I didn't mind to learn, you know. Mm. I was in, uh, I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed. It. It's just it was to find recipes and things like that with the things that 
that you could get in those days. Yeah, I remember the first time we had carbonara. That was in the nineties, and that was a. That's probably still my favorite dish, just because yeah. the memories of it, like the first yeah. time I ever had a carbonara. Yeah, 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 but yeah. no one else was eating carbonara where we were. Like, probably, no. yeah, no, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and uh, so three kids then moved, then moved to Middleton, where Dad was like started his first church, I suppose, and that was a an interesting thing, which is kind of like I always consider my childhood to happen there, really, even though I moved at fourteen, kind of a thing. But that was that was that was tough in Middleton as well, wasn't it? It was. Um, it was great fun. I loved growing up there. Yeah. Contrary to what I've been getting in trouble for saying recently on the stand-up comedy stage. But I did love growing up there. But it was a, it was a difficult time as well. We didn't have a lot of money. And um, the neighborhood, unfortunately, I don't like saying it, but it did have a reputation. Yeah. But I, the people were great. You know, it's like like every oh. bad place, every, every place, you know, there's just uh, some bad things happen. But, you know, the people are fantastic. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There was no doubt about that. And, you know, they look after our place when we went on holidays. Absolutely. They were, if, if, if there was something, they saw something dodgy, yeah. they would just go They'll and give you the heads up. It. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, mm. no, no. They were um, they were uh, very, they were, they were very good. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. He did have a, a reputation. He was in one of the best neighborhoods. Um, from what people were saying, but how do you define a good neighborhood? It all depends. A, a neighborhood can look very smart and clean, and nobody helps one another. So that's exactly yeah. So Annette was always there to hop over the wall. Absolutely, to get some, yeah, 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 yeah. To get yeah. some sugar exactly. and eggs and all exactly. that. Kind of. yeah, do, you, yeah. do you keep in touch? No, 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 I don't. Depends no. on Facebook. I I think I'm fr- I'm I am friend of face with Rob Ke- with with, Rob. with the children, you know, right. yeah, and Kevin and all of that, yeah. Um. Very good. Uh-huh. And, well, that's it. Now you live in Dublin now and your life is good. And, yeah, how does it feel to be a grandmother? You're out the other side of all that and being a mom and parenting and all uh, that kind of stuff. Um, or does that job ever end? <laughs> um, oh, no, it's lovely. It's lovely. I mean, both girls are really uh, little characters and uh, you just enjoy them, you know. And even if you have a day when you feel a little bit down or you're not feeling well, you know, they always make you you know fill up again you know and have a little laugh and forget about other things and you get on with with their little world you know so it's it's lovely yeah and they do have they definitely because they definitely have your imagination as well certainly my daughter at the moment because she is technically she's an only child at the moment but she definitely i to watch her and her imagination sometimes there's like there's a whole meeting going on in the living room and you just walk in and it's just her there and there's nobody else our children all have, and I hope they con- may long continue. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of your imagination, we talked a little bit about how your arts and crafts have manifested themselves in uh, the little things that you do in the evening times, your crochet, making the bradges and all that kind of stuff. But you've, even the, in the past, I don't know how long, maybe 10 years, maybe that not long, have veered into the, the painting side of things as well. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I I suppose I I always like pencils and drawing or coloring or whatever i don't think i'm a very good drawer so i have to what polish that but uh, um but um yeah in the last few years probably five years i um pursue more uh, expressing that uh, into uh into a canvas or paper uh, um, so and I, I I really enjoy that. Yeah. You have an exhibition. Uh, have you got a name for your exhibition at the moment, <laughs> Mrs. Mullen? No, he hasn't got the name, and I had to think of all the. Uh, but you've but got a beautiful each, exhibition on downstairs in thirds. Sp- uh, but Excuse we me. do. Um, each piece has a name. Yeah. That, okay. and, uh, and there is an artist statement and all of that. Yeah third space in smithfield square if anybody is around the dublin seven area lots of people eat there and drink there and have their meetings there so that but it's a place that my dad started it was his vision a long time ago and both my parents have been involved in it uh, down the years and my mom has her first painting exhibition on down there so the paintings the lovely paintings that you'll see on the wall um my mom did over the past couple of years i i presume yeah, 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 yeah. There is one that I did a few years ago, and um, yeah, and other ones that I did recently. And ve- yeah. and various different inspirations for them. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, there are a couple of them. The the inspiration came from a weekend that we went to Barna in County Galway, uh, and um, it just the texture of rocks and the color combination of uh, lichen and moss and flowers all in one place beautiful yeah 
for this is a lovely effect yeah and you had the one here that where we're sitting at the moment in time it was there for a while the kind of purple ready kind yeah of one. yeah that was an, a, a painting that i started just to use complementary colors what they will look like yes uh, and just so i started with the yellow and looking at the complementary the yellow with the purple and then you start looking at different shades of purple different shades of yellow and that's what it became okay you know it's a beautiful beautiful uh, that P. that one is sold actually. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Where did where did, where did that go? Just a customer there? Uh, no, no, no. It was actually a, a relative of ours. <laughs> well, congratulations. There you go. Then um, my other half won't be happy about that. But anyway, we'll have to commission one for you, mm-hmm. uh, for you to, uh, to do. And I think that is. I was going to like. I was going to going to ask you a bit more of your performing roles because. Uh, uh, was that this evening that Melanie was over and you were doing the dancing and all that kind of stuff? Yes. <laughs> yeah. What exactly was that video about? It all started with the fact that I was telling Melanie that my pool at the moment, not my, the pool at the gym is being closed for renovation. Yes. So I was telling her that they give you classes, uh, but I wasn't sure if I will go on the classes. I'd rather go to the machines. Uh, but I said, well, but one of the things, exercises that we had to do is to walk around with music. And I say, with the, he puts Freddie Mercury. and Oh, that's uh, you love a bit of that. And so we, with the, the weights, you had to go up and down, up and down walking. <laughs> we so, are the champions. And so I said to Melanie, I have weights here. So, so I, she said, oh, wait, I'll put the music. So I started wa- going up and down with the weights and the music. <laughs> Which song is it that he played from Freddie Mercury? Don't stop me now. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Don't stop me now. Mama pumping up and down, pumping up and down. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank <laughs> well, you. thank you very much thank <laughs> for, you for having ha- me. I hope you're not too tired. I think like I, thought, I think I might have drained you a little bit or something. No, that's fine. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. That was Anna Luisa Riccitelli. Gracias, man. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.